Hi, my name is Trish, the core behavioral therapist. And today we have a season finale, guys, and I'm really excited about it. <laughs> I have my friend, Dr. Antoine Crosby. Um, he graduated with his PhD in clinical psychology at California School of Professional Psychology. Antoine, how are you? Dr. C, Dr. Crosby, how are you doing? Dr. C is in the building. I'm doing great. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you. You're in Washington, D.C. now. I am, yes. I've been here for about four years now. Okay, what are you doing there? So actually, I'm very excited. As of May 1st, I actually started, so I'm on a venture, um, started an adventure rather, where I'm in private practice full-time. Private practice um, full-time, awesome. Yes, and I also work, do some contract work in the school system um, to do uh, psych assessments for students to determine if they need um, individual education plans. That's so awesome. There's such a need for that in the school system. and. How is that going with uh, the pandemic and everything that's happening now? Uh, you know, <laughs> um, definitely the private practice is picking up. I'm getting calls constantly, which is a blessing um, to have. Um, in terms of like the school system, we're still like trying to figure that out and what that looks like. But I think a lot of people are hurting. A lot of people are struggling. And there's just this, you know, overall air of just uncertainty, which is very present right now. Right. Um, so, you know, I saw, I invited uh, Dr. Crosby on because, you know, we went to school together. Um, both of us were getting our doctorates and um, Dr. Crosby, Antoine, um, he finished his doctorate. And I invited him on because I did meet up with him at the APA convention and I thought his uh, study was fascinating. But then I also saw something recent that he posted, uh, that you posted and it was um, basically um, you want you want to talk about that actually? What did you do? Sure. I had to get in touch with you. <laughs> <laughs> so I had the opportunity um, to present, not really present, engage in conversation with roughly about thirty plus uh, black men um, and other men of color. Um, there were about thirty black men on the call and about five other men of color. Okay. Um, on the call uh, at a local church here in D.C. So it, it's their men's night, it's their weekly men's night. However, the pastor reached out to me because he wanted me to have a conversation with them about like depression and pain and hurt and how that shows up uh, in males and male expression, particularly with black men and right. the challenges in doing so. So we had a lengthy, um, you know, very powerful conversation about emotions, how that shows up in our communities and networks. Um, the barriers to expressing that, and things of that nature. That's so fascinating for me. So the title of it was Men of God and, and Those Who Suffer from Depression. Yes. Um, and how, how prevalent is that now? Because um, with Black Lives Matter and everything that's been mm -hmm. happening, um, and I feel a lot of people are seeking um, guidance and psychoeducation about mental health and especially about racial trauma and things of that sort. Can you, without giving us names and, and stuff like that, can you give us an idea of what topics were covered um, on, in, this in this talk that you did with your church? With the church? Sure. So there were a number of topics, and really everything you just hit on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, 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 you're fine, you're fine. But I think I can also expand it, right? Um, in terms of, you know, there's 
discussions of sexual trauma, um, mental illness that's present, um, behavioral health needs present in our families and in our communities, and how we handle or really mismanage um, that. Also experiences, like I said, of trauma, own individual personal experiences of depression and seeing depression present in other family members, um, topics of suicidality, both passive and active. What does Pretty passive, rich discussion. What does passive suicidality mean? Yes, my apologies. So passive well, suicidality. Don't even apologize. I, I, this is great stuff. So <laughs> I'm learning too as you go too. So. Thank you. <laughs> so passive suicidality is that suicidality where you don't necessarily have a plan. You're not saying, oh, I'm going to go do this. When I come home, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. But it is kind of those thoughts um, that I think a lot of people have, where it is one of those things like, if I didn't wake up today or if I didn't wake up tomorrow, I'd be okay. Oh, right. Is that kind of like a suicidal ideation a bit or is it a little different? It, we wouldn't necessarily classify it as suicidality. Definitely, I think, something to pay attention to. So I'll often explore that okay. um, with people with whom I'm working with because, you know, it's a very fine line. It can be a fine line between passive and active, you know, given the right. circumstances. But I definitely think it's something to pay attention to because I think that speaks to the degree of hopelessness, helplessness, um, and really at its core, the amount of pain someone is in. Right. And... You know, with everything that's happening, um, how is the community and some of the community expressing this? Because um, I'm I'm not generalizing or anything, but there's some people out there who who will think, well, as a black man, you don't share certain things, you don't share your feelings, you don't do this, you don't do. There's certain ter even not just black men, like men in general, even mm -hmm. in certain cultures, they don't believe in mental health or speaking up about their issues, and then hence you have suicidality, you have it coming um, out in different ways. Um, mm -hmm. So do you have, what do you have to say about that kind of stuff? So I think I agree with everything you're saying. I think that society has set it up in a way that for men, it's not okay for us to express our emotions. We're not taught nor are we given permission to feel anything other than really angry. When you, I think, truncate so that. Right? Because then it's the angry, it's the angry black male and the angry black female complex that exactly. every, that people adapt to. And that's not okay. That's just not okay. Right. And that, you know, a lot of people miss, you know, just to speak on that a bit, a lot of people miss anger is a valid emotion. Oh, There's absolutely. nothing wrong with being angry, right? Right. I think oftentimes in those scenarios, that angry black man, the angry black woman, what happens is people often forget what was the catalyst to making the person angry and exactly. that often gets overshadowed uh, totally and it comes from a lot of intergenerational trauma intergenerational trauma too i mean you can't just send people off and not give them a net or not give them certain resources and exactly. then it just uh, it's a domino effect right from mm -hmm. different generations to different generations so this uprising was a very long time coming, like very, very, yes. very long, 400 years, you know? I agree. I tell people all the time, you know, I think that it's great that there's an uprising. I think it's great that we are now having allies join in. The truth of the matter, though, is that since we left our homeland, we as Black people have been dealing with racism. So this is nothing new to us, right? Um, I think to your point, we're tired. It's, it's, it's embedded in our DNA, though, the trauma of, like, our ancestors and how that's impacted 
I think for us, trauma more often than not is normalized. It's just part of our experience. And it's not until we sit down with someone in therapy or we're having conversations with peers from you know other groups where we're like, oh, wait a minute, this isn't normal. But the way in which we, you know, our, unfortunately our history is that of pain, heartache, trauma, rape, et cetera. Right. And so a lot of times that's just normalized. Were, were they open? I'm sorry, I didn't. There was an echo in the background. I apologize. Um, the the people you spoke to, the men you spoke spoke to, were they open with you about what you just spoke about? They were open. They were extremely open about traumas and things of that nature. Um, I think what helped that I uh, opened up in my introduction, kind of giving them a brief synopsis of like my experience as a black man, my experience growing up in church. Uh, my experience dealing with, you know, depression and things of that nature, how that manifested the conflict with, um, you know, my relationship with Christ and how that impacted um, how I functioned and navigated through the world. And That's so I think being transparent in that way yeah. helped. Can you talk more about that, your, your relationship with Christ and the navigation part of transformation? Can you talk more about that? Absolutely. So I am a PK, a preacher's kid. I did not know that. Yes. Shout out to the people out there. <laughs> Some of you guys are the worst. Sorry. Oh, we I'm are. <laughs> we are horrible. <laughs> See? He validated. He validated that. <laughs> not denied. But we do our see, we do our dirt in the dark. <laughs> What's in the dark? What's in the dark? Comes out in the light. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Oh my God. Let me behave. Let me behave. So, I'm a PK. I'm a PK through and through. So, when I say PK, I mean like Sunday morning church, go home, change, come back for Sunday night service. I think Monday was our only night off. Tuesday night, there was something. Wednesday, Bible study. Thursday, intercessory prayer, Friday, youth night, Saturday, witnessing, do it all over again. You were in it. In it. (laughs) So um, what happened was, though, that for me, I moved away to attend college and I moved for, you know, I moved to Georgia Mm -hmm. from California. And so I was out there all alone. But anyway, at one point, I reached a very, I reached a point in life where I had graduated college. Things were supposed to be great. I had like the job I wanted. I had a set of friends, but internally, like something was just off. And so I wasn't really feeling fulfilled. And I, I at the time, I didn't have the language for it. Um, but looking back on it, I spun into a depressive, I spun into depression. And I, I recall one instance where I went into my bedroom, um, I went into my closet. I had a roommate at the time. So I went into my bedroom and then I went into my closet and closed the door. And I remember like piling like a top, like a bunch of clothes like over me so he wouldn't be able to hear me. And I just like wailed, like in a cry that I don't think I've ever released that before. Wrenching cry, like in the fifth yes. stomach. Yeah. Because I was just in so much pain and I just felt like abandoned. Um, by God. And so in that moment, I made the decision to kind of just like step away from the church because I was like, this is not fulfilling me. I'm going, I'm here, I'm hearing the word, but it's not really translating to my life. Mm -hmm. And so I stepped away from the church, but you know, 
you know how God is. Like, oh, you, yeah. you, you don't come back. <laughs> yeah. Once he's got you, he's got you. It's exactly. So like, okay, yeah, you think you're going away for a little bit. That's cool. That's cute. We'll see you in a minute. <laughs> I think we've all been old as Christians. A lot of us have went through that kind of phase. But this is very serious stuff. What you're talking about, like mm-hmm. there's people out there who have experienced this. I mean, you being a pastor's kid, you piling clothes on on yourself so you could wail, but you walked away. It was it sounds like a deep darkness that happened with you. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was a transformative time for me. Um, yeah, that's how I would characterize a transformative because in that I stepped away from God, um, kind of went out, did my own thing. And then eventually I came back to God, but in a way that I found God like for myself. Um, and it, the way in which it happened, like it, you know, without taking up too much time. Like, I want to hear how it happened. A friend of mine, um, so I do, I used to sing, kind of still do. Anyway, a friend of mine asked me to uh, sing um, tenor part on the praise team for a friend of his who was being ordained. Okay. I said, oh, yeah, sure. So I did that. And then he was like, he came back a couple of months later. He said, hey, you know that friend? He's now opening a church. Can you do the tenor part on the praise team? I said, sure. But as watching this church build and grow and manifest and become something and hearing the messages and hearing the word of God being taught from like a space of love and inclusion and things of that nature. One day they were doing the call, um, you know, the altar call. Mm-hmm. And I recall like just tapping my friend on the shoulder and I said, I want to join. I want to join. And my friend like walked me up there and like I joined the church. And like for me, that, it, that was the moment where I found God for myself. And not because I'm a PK and because it was tradition, but I really understood who God was, not only in totality, but also in my life. Oh my gosh, that's so good. That's so good. It sounds like it was it was sort of embedded in you, in you because of the environment you were in, because mm-hmm. you were a pastor's kid, but it's like God had to snatch you up on your own. Yes. Like had to, you had to get to the lowest point ever and for the lowest point ever and then God just reached out for you. Absolutely. How did you end up going to that church? Were you invited? Did you, your friend invited you? I think you said or no. So yes, so he invited me. So I was singing on the praise and worship team. So I would go, mm-hmm, but I just wasn't a member. But you were playing church like some people do. Yeah, so I was showing up. I was singing every Sunday, learning the songs, going to rehearsal. Um, but I think in that, like it was beyond, and this is coming to me like right now. <laughs> I think it was perfect. Yeah, this is great. It was beyond the act of singing so much as I think because it wasn't just like I just got up there Sunday and sang. Like I had right. to go to rehearsals and stuff like that. So I think in that there was a community that was built around me, and I was able to actually see like the love of God show up in so many different relationships and different ways that a community was built and formed around me. I think that not a thing that I know that allowed me to actually see the love of God in action. Wow, that's, this is awesome because God is love. Like Jesus is love. And yes. that's what, and he used those people in your circle, in your community to show you that. And that's mm-hmm. what brought you even, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's oh. just so beautiful. Now you being a, a psycho- clinical psychologist, right? Mm-hmm. 
talking about the depression and talking about your relationship with God and Christ and the community and being a pastor's kid, what is that like for you as a professional, professional clinical psychologist? What is that like for you? So I think I do not push my beliefs on people. So I definitely keep that separate. Um, But I think it gives me an insight in some ways because at least in, in the black community, the church is something that is so central. Right. Um, That has been like the space in which messages get out into the community. That has been where we go to to cry out in prayer, to hope for change. So the church is so central to the black community and that even if we don't grow up in church, Mm -hmm. the the teachings of it are present in our families and how we operate. And so I think when I'm working with someone clinically, particularly a black person clinically, it allows for a way to give permission and say, God is, God is a way, a pathway, right? right. Um, and that, yes, we also, there are other ways and other, you know, things that we can do um, to heal and that it's okay. Like we can do prayer and not prayer, period. Right. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. It's um, as if you're seeing, so if someone is suffering from depression, what, what the best thing for healing is some people it's counseling, actual therapy, and some people it's therapy, counseling, and medication. And for some people, it's um, therapy, it's therapy, it's your relationship with God, it's sometimes medication, because I believe God created medication and God um, has anointed doctors, that's what mm-hmm. I believe in. He's created doctors, God has created science. So, um, yeah, I think that's just so awesome. Like, so, so it's so fascinating because I just did the study too. And religion, the, the participants, right, mm-hmm. who were more attuned or had a relationship with God or who had a church community or a community in a temple, they presented with less symptoms mm. of depression. And that's what I'm hearing from you. Yes. Yes, that is totally. Did that happen? Your dep- uh, the symptoms of depression lessened with you once you found your community and you found God again. I would totally agree with that. Like because then, because one of the hallmarks of depression is isn't true for everyone, but for a lot of people, it's this feeling of isolation. Right, isolation. Yes, especially mm-hmm. now. I mean, come on, during COVID, right? Yeah. Especially now. And so feeling like there's not a network. And so I think being around people did actually lift my spirits, but not just being around people, being around healthy people and being around the right people. Oh, can you say that again? That's so good. Can you say that again? Being around healthy people and the right people. Oh, that's so good. So good. We have to point who is, who is in your circle, your VIPs, your very important people Mm -hmm. who will lift you up and not bring you down. You know, that's so important, especially with people who do do suffer from depression and anxiety and isolation, like you said. Um, Do you have any advice out there for people who are going through what you described um, during COVID right now? Yeah, I think we're right now in such an interesting time um, that I don't think any of us could have predicted, like, this is what this would look like. Um, And the sad part is it doesn't look like it's changing anytime soon, Um, especially, you know, I had some sessions today, actually, kind of prepping people because it's about to start getting cooler and going to get darker earlier. And so I think that's going to, like, intensify or ramp up the depression, particularly if you're isolating. So 
a couple of things that I've been recommending is to, um, one, know your triggers. And what I mean by triggers is know, know what sets you off, right? What gets the depression going? So if that's certain people that you talk to, if that's certain people you engage with, um, certain topics you broach, be able to identify those triggers and know that family can be a trigger. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. So and so, you know your triggers, what sets yes. you off. Yes. Um, people, even family, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, also, identify your pathway, identify your course of depression. What does it look like? So I'm triggered, and then I get this feeling of, so for different people, it's different things. I'll give one example. So, you know, you're triggered by this and now you feel, so let's say it's a conversation. And so someone says something that triggers you and now you're angry and you start to kind of internalize that anger. Like, oh, I should have said something. I didn't say anything. Right. So now you're beating yourself up because you didn't say anything. Uh, then that's another layer on top of all of that. Exactly. Wow. And then it's gonna, you're going to start to internalize. You're going to start to mull it over in your head, in your heart space. You're going to cycle and spiral and then you know whatever whatever your course is so i would say identify your course because then you'll look up and say why is it that i've been in the bed for three days and not want to move Mm, that's so true that's so good to identify your course your pathway so so good so good and the last thing yeah i would say would be to you know identify your tribe identify your community i love that that. identify your tribe and your community Mm-hmm. it's so important that, that those are awesome you're, you're awesome I think this is great um, <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> um what do you think about with COVID and isolation and and people needing to identify their tribe I mean how can they do that right yes now? so I think it requires well let me just say I think the world is tired of Zoom. <laughs> I so, know. <laughs> so like, as much as I hate to recommend pick it, phone. pick up the phone. An old-fashioned phone call. Maybe. Pick up the phone, do a text, do something, but get connected. And even if it's a Zoom, I can't tell you how many Zoom like meetings I do every right. week right. just to keep my and like happy meetings. Um, but I still leave feeling connected, even though I get tired of sitting in front of the computer. Yeah. Um, I forgot your question. No, it's okay. I mean, I, I asked, I think you answered it. Like, what are some other ways besides, how about besides Zoom that people how can How do you connect? identify your tribe? Yeah, identify your tribe. Like for Zoom though, I have to say, I've been connecting more with people than I did before COVID because of Agreed. Zoom. I have like, it's, it's in my schedule. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I know I'm doing this. Right. And it's, um, but it is tiresome sometimes. Mm-hmm. So It can't be. Yeah, identifying your tribe. Okay, you know what? How about family members? Let's okay. get real. How about family members? People are isolated or quarantined with some family members. Listen. <laughs> okay, let's talk about that because yeah. a lot of people have left uh, San Francisco or the city or New York City and mm-hmm. they are sheltering in place with their families and yes. they are leaving the cities in droves, right? Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have for, um, I guess, professionals who are going back home or who are back home with their families or the mom or dad who has to take in this this uh, their child their grown child yes, yes. so i'm um, uh real quick i want to go back um uh, to answer the question of how to identify the tribe 
Um, one thing I'll say is it's going to require a degree of flexibility and vulnerability. So being able to identify those people with whom you can fully be your transparent and authentic self without judgment. And being able to verbalize and express what it is you need. Because sometimes we don't need a solution. We don't need a cure. Sometimes we just need to vent. Yeah. And so being able to tell those people, hey, this is where I am. This is what I need. And even if you can't identify what you need, you can say, this is where I am. This is what I know I don't need. Right. And so being able to identify, I like to have three people at least whom fit that. That's so good. It's really like quality over quantity, I think. Too. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'd rather have two great friends than a hundred so-so friends. Right. So to answer your other question now. Yeah. <laughs> so there are mass exoduses happening across the country, right? It's a big right. thing here in D.C. I was reading an article. It's something like some crazy percentage of apartments right. are available right now. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it looks, it, a lot of people have to make adjustments. Right. Family, especially in the Black community, there's a special tie we feel to family, right? Okay, like yeah. Even, you know, you just, you don't talk bad about your family, you don't go against your family, even if your family is not healthy for you. Right. We have to get to a space, I think, where we start to look at our family members as any other person. And I don't mean that in a way of like, they don't matter, but I mean that in a way, in terms of the dynamics of the relationship. If, in fact, it is something that's toxic, just because you share blood, that does not give them the right to violate your boundaries or to right. wound you emotionally. Right. And so being able to step back and say, okay, and looking in this dynamic, what part of this dynamic in our exchange is unhealthy and making the necessary changes? So particularly when people are like moving back in, it's requiring a lot of shifts, a lot of adjustments. Um, you know, based on identities, if people are queer identified, some people are going back in the closet, um, etc. And so, hmm? I didn't even think about that. That they would have to go, peep the uh, people who identify as LGBTQ, that they would have to go back into the closet if they're around their family. Yeah. Like that. Wow. So it's a lot of different like stressors that are out there, and you know, being home. I think oftentimes we tend to go back to like, we just fall back into how we operate. So we, we fall back into our childhood self. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think being able to, again, set up the boundaries are so important. They're so, so, so important. <laughs> so Very important, yeah. Having boundaries with people and being, but in order to set a boundary, you have to be in tune with yourself and know what the, when you get that feeling inside, like, mm, something, pay attention to that. Because oh, yeah. that's your body and your heart letting you know something bad is happening. Right. It's um, true. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. So, I would say setting those boundaries while being home. Um, and also, still, if you can, I know everybody's situation is different, so I don't want to assume. But if you can, find some space, some time, some alone time, even if it's 30 minutes a day. Um, so, just where you can be by yourself, be with your thoughts, and, like, encourage and pour into yourself. Because I don't think we're built and wired to be around people 24-7. <laughs> no, we're not. And if that happens, there's bound to be some sort of argument or disagreement. Um, what about for the parents um, or grandparents who, who are taking in their, um, their child who is an adult now? Mm -hmm. What about them? you have any advice for older folks or people who are more seasoned? 
that your child is now an adult. Yes. <laughs> That's so true. Because, you know, some parents have the empty nest syndrome or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And now, yeah. oh, oh, snap, like, mm-hmm. it's no longer an empty nest. <laughs> so you said that you said it best. Your child is an adult. Get yes. it right. It's so true. Like mind your business. Yes, yes. Mind your business. Don't worry who they're talking to on the phone. Don't worry about what they're doing. Don't worry about how late they're like. They're an adult. Business. Oh my gosh, it's so true. So true. Well, what's next for you, Antoine? What's next? Um. So, right now, I'm like I said, working to like expand the practice. Um, that's Private really practice, so on the horizon. Yes. Um, catering primarily um, to queer identified people of color um, are my specialty areas, but that's not to say I don't see anybody outside of those um, identities. Um, continuing to you know improve my specialty areas and define my niche. Um, and also just being out here on this social justice thing. So, you know, I've been protesting. I march. <laughs> um, That's so awesome. In D.C.? Yeah. That- in D.C., mm-hmm. Um, also getting more involved with Black Lives Matter uh, here in my local office. Um, and really just trying to, you know, I'm all about social justice and, like, advocacy um, and equity, not equality. Equity. Um, okay. And also, I guess, in, not I guess, but continuing to like ensure that we get more people of color in the field of psychology i'm telling Um, you it's so true it's necessary absolutely necessary it was not like when you look at like the diagnoses and the how we arrive at the like it was not written for us (laughs) um and for us i'm saying people of color a lot of the standards and norms don't involve, you know, us. So being able to bring people in who look like us so that we, we're not over-diagnosing while at the same time being under-treated and underserved. Right, exactly. That's so, mm-hmm. it's so true. I'm so glad you said that. We definitely are in need of people of color in um, mental health. So, I mean, I have to say, you, when you said that, I just thought about Kamala Harris, who is making history. <laughs> she's, she's both of us, bro. <laughs> she's Indian. She's South Asian Indian, and I'm South Asian Indian descent. I'm um, Indo Caribbean, and she got that Caribbean aspect. She, her dad's from Jamaica. My parents yes. that, and she's African American. Exactly. Why, thank you. <laughs> We're like a mix, right? <laughs> oh my gosh! How I was, so, I cried. I was so happy. Yes, I'm ex- I'm beyond ecstatic. I am like, this is what we need, right? We need without going too much in politics, we need like representation across the board. Across the board, absolutely. Antoine, you're amazing, Dr. Crosby. If people wanna get in touch with you, um, because you have a lot of great stuff going on, um, you know, you're, you're volunteering at your local Black Lives Matter office, you have your private practice popping off soon. If people wanna get in touch with you, can they? Do you have a social media handle or anything? They can contact you. Absolutely. So uh, if they want to get in contact with me through email, they can go drcrosby at affirmativespaces.com. My practice is called Affirmative Spaces Psychological Services here in D.C. Uh, So you can email me that way. I'm in the process because it's still new. So I'm in the process of building the website. Um, but you can follow me on like Instagram, it's personal Instagram. <laughs> um, I am underscore unapologetically me because I believe in full authenticity. Um, yeah. 
And so you'll get some inspirational quotes and then, you know, you'll get pictures of food. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's awesome. I want to thank you so much. You're such a light and this is refreshing. And I learned so much too from you. So I really appreciate you taking the time and being part of um, the Core Behavioral Therapist podcast and my season finale person. I am so excited um, for you and what God has for you. Um, You know, I'm so glad that I met you and God brought us together at school and at the APA convention. I mean, you're an inspiration to me and to everyone that you've touched and talked to. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you for inviting me and congratulations. Season one finale. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you again and bye everyone. Thank you. Have a great night, everyone. You too.